Opinions expressed in this episode are personal. They do not necessarily reflect the views of this streaming platform. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Let's Be Diverse. I am your host, Andrew Stout. This episode is dedicated to all my loved ones who have supported me through this journey. But when it comes to safety in a workplace setting, it is not enough that we just talk the talk. When it comes to creating a strong safety culture, requires our organizations walk the walk, whether it be on site, in the office, or during training sessions. When we choose to have safe behavior, other people are less likely to find shortcuts around the rules, policies, and procedures. So on today's episode, we're going to talk about leading safety teams and how important they are to an organization. Our guest today is most likely someone who talks about these topics often throughout the day. His name is Darcy Lynch. Now, Darcy has 18 years of progressive management experience in the functional areas of human resources, safety operations, along with 12 years of experience leading teams as large as 75 direct reports. He has a broad-based skills and experience in employee engagement, employee experience, compensation and benefits, talent acquisition, talent management, learning development, and legal HR matters. Welcome to the show, Darcy. It's an honor to have you on today. Andrew, thanks a lot for having me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm happy to be here to share my experience in occupational health and safety. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be on today, Darcy. How are things going in your area or your neck of the woods? Things are going great. My business and myself, I'm based in, in Moncton, New Brunswick. So that's the other part of the country from where you are. It's mm-hmm. a rainy Tuesday evening here, which is okay because you need rain. We get a lot of rain in the month of May. However, as you know, rain can create its own types of patterns, especially for drivers. You know, a lot of defensive driving courses will talk about uh, hydroplaning as an example. So that's a good allude into this conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with you 100%. Hopefully you drove safe today and glad to see that you got uh, back home safe tonight. Yep. All in one piece. Yeah. So before I begin, I always have a fun question to ask my guests to get things going. Are you ready for your question today, Darcy? Yeah, ready as ever. So my question to you today is, would you rather be completely invisible for one day or be able to fly for one day? Be able to fly. Absolutely. Definitely be able to fly. Yeah. Okay. Then you, can, that... then you can see everything. True. I totally agree with you. Yeah, you'd be able to see uh, everything and probably maybe save some plane tickets and that if you could fly to a destination that you want to fly to. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Well, thanks for having fun with me. You know, it's a great answer, uh, Darcy. So I appreciate you having fun with me today. So why don't we get this show on the road? What I would like to do to start things off is by learning more about you and your story. Sure. Well, I've been working in the areas of human resources, safety and operations management now for the past uh, 18 years or so. All of my experience up until 2022 has been in private industry. So it had been in manufacturing, agriculture and uh, transportation and trucking. So uh, like you said earlier, I've, uh, I've managed teams, I've led teams. And of those 18 years, 12 of those years, I managed health and safety in conjunction with human resources. And sometimes, depending on what organization you're in, that's, that's normal. But in other organizations, safety has its, uh, its own department. So that's kind of the whole professional piece. But where, where the safety part really came into play is early in my career, 
on or about 2004. I had the unfortunate experience of going through a, a workplace fatality in my first role that I've ever held at right at a university. I was a brand new supervisor in a plant. I was actually training, you know, in my training program at the time. And, and we had a, we had a workplace fatality and uh, it was something that I'll never, uh, I'll never forget. Very, very tough, very difficult to go through for everybody involved, for the employees, for families, for, uh, you know, for the management of, of the team, for the community, everybody involved. And uh, that really sparked my interest as far as, as occupational health and safety goes. So. In 2022, I actually founded my own business. So my company is Levitate Human Resources Strategies, Inc. And we combine both uh, human resources consulting with occupational health and safety consulting. So on the, uh, on the human resource consulting side, we do recruitment and selection. We also do leadership development and assessments. We do workplace investigations. We do HR auditing, and, and we also have HR advisory services for those clients in the small, medium, and large space who need it. And if we move, move over to the occupational health and safety side, we do, uh, we do root cause analysis training. We do due diligence training. I consult both with organizations and also joint health and safety committees who, who need my help and who want to get more value out of their health and safety committee. We can help employers navigate a right to refuse, and we can help employers make that culture shift uh, that is so important. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. If they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're on a certain level in terms of safety and they want to move the needle just a little bit or they want to move the needle a little bit more, I know what that culture change looks like because I have been through it. So I, we, can, we can support them and help them with that. So I've worked in the past, you know, the past 18 years have, has been with both medium and large size organizations. That's my background. But that's a little bit about, uh, a little bit about myself, who I am and what I do and kind of where that passion for safety comes from. It's an amazing story, and you mentioned that uh, passion. So sorry to hear about that story with the fatality. That's a terrible way to to learn. We all learn in a certain way. Unfortunately, that was your way to learn. But you have, I believe, in passion, and you discovered a passion for what you do now. So I guess it's a good thing in that respect. Yeah, you, you know, you always try to look for positives in those things, Andrew. I mean. If- at the time when it when it happens, you, you know, those, those positives are few and far between. You can't think of how anything positive will, will come out of it. But uh, like you said, you know, not great lessons to learn in life, obviously. But, you know, you move on and you get up and you move onward. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think of firefighters or like star ambulance that we have here. So, I mean, I could just imagine some of the stories of the situations that they walk into. So I commend them for the jobs that they do. And I'm a huge believer in health and safety in an organization. I feel like it's vital. I feel like a lot of organizations don't have, or they don't place a huge importance in it. So I respect the job that you do for sure. So what I would love for you to tell us, what is the responsibility of a health and safety team within an organization? The responsibility for a uh, for health and safety team within an organization really comes down to two things, Andrew. I guess the first one is you want everybody. And when I say everybody, I mean, not just employees who work on the floor, not just employees who work in the office, not just employees in the plant who might be, let's say, temp labor. Everybody goes home safe at the end of the day. So whether that's the end of the day, end of the shift, end of the weekend shift rotation, everybody goes home at the end of the day or shift the same way that, uh, that they did when they came in. So that would be the, uh, that would be the first one. And also, all employees are responsible for health and safety. 
So it's not just employees who, you know, let's say work on the floor in a manufacturing plant. It's not just a leadership team who works in a manufacturing plant or any organization. Everybody is responsible for safety and everybody is responsible for looking out for each other. That is how a team functions. It doesn't matter what team you're talking about. You don't know. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a football team, a hockey team, a softball team. All teams function by working together as a team. So the first thing I'll say is, you know, we talk about a safety team in general. If you look at a manufacturing plant, well, that manufacturing plant, I consider a team as far as safety goes, because all of those people need to be working together. However, there are teams within that team when it comes to health and safety. And those teams within that team, they're also required to work as a team and gel together. So, for example, in that organization, you could have a joint health and safety committee as a whole. Well, that is a team within that health and safety team in its entirety. So they need to be working together. That joint health and safety committee, they're made up of of safety committee reps who represent a shift. They represent an area. They represent a part of an operation. They all need to be working together to make sure that safety gels together. You can also have safety project teams. If you're running continuous improvement projects, you're running safety projects to try to get better, to try to improve, to try to improve your key performance indicators on safety. That's also a team within your entire safety team. They need to function together. Your leadership team, you know, they have to function as a safety team and they have to drive safety as well. And if you're part of a larger organization, oftentimes you can have a corporate safety team who doesn't actually sit at the site. They might be a few kilometers away or a few hundred kilometers away. They can be an extension of the safety operation team. They need to function as a team with you. And in addition to that, all the all the other employees. So you have to think of it as in an operational or plant environment, plant as a whole, but also what are all those mini safety teams within that plant? Another example would be your first aid group, your first aiders. Well, that, that's a team of first aiders. They need to function as a team. So as I say, it takes a village to make things happen and make things work. And those are all of those moving pieces in that organization that makes safety tick. And that is what the, uh, what the responsibility of safety is, making sure everybody goes home safe at the end of the day to all of their family and loved ones. That's uh, very interesting to me. I just want to circle back. So you said the two important things are everyone goes home safe and all employees are responsible for safety and health in the workplace. Do you find that employees in a lot of organizations, do you find that they are lenient or they don't feel that it's their responsibility to take control or make sure that health and safety is part of the everyday life of all the employees? We do have that, Andrew, in the workplace. Some employees, you know, they don't see safety as their responsibility. They see Mm -hmm. that as a supervisor's responsibility. Mm -hmm. They're in that position of trust and authority. They're the ones that can affect change. Therefore, I can do very little. So safety is not my responsibility. They also might see safety as a responsibility or their joint health and safety committee rep. You know, I, I, I communicate my concerns and my hazards and my incidents to my supervisor, my joint health and safety committee rep. After that, my job is done. I don't need to do anything else. But if you look at if you look at any occupational health and safety act, which is the compliance piece, which is the minimum that you're required to do, a lot of acts uh, have their language worded that way. That the responsibility of safety of an employee is to keep themselves safe and all of those around them. So there's really a number of things that uh you know a safety team needs to uh, needs to do um i mentioned i talked to you a little bit about 
that what that safety team looks like and all of the, all that moving parts that makes that safety mm-hmm. team tick. But if I think of four mm-hmm. or five things that, that really has to happen in order for that to work well, the first part is those teams and those mini safety teams I just mentioned. Obviously, number one is that they have to support safety. Uh, you can't have uh, an mm-hmm. employee who's saying that they're going to support safety, but then their behavior is counterintuitive or counterproductive to the whole safety mm-hmm. language, behavior, mm-hmm. environment, KPIs, culture. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's number one. Number two is they need to be advocates for safety. They need to be, I talked about supporting safety, but that's one piece, but it goes a little bit deeper. An advocate for safety is somebody who is out there selling safety and they're out there actively gaining buy-in from from employees and from everybody on those teams and those mini teams of safety that I just discussed. So they're they're really the spokesperson mm-hmm. and the advocate for that shift, that that uh, that department, that area, so on and so forth. The third one would be to adopt any initiatives within reason that they see that can that can be low hanging fruit that we can go after. Uh, right away, as far as getting uh, getting bang for the buck and initiating that culture change or or changing that culture, mm-hmm. because what you don't want from your safety team is you don't want to have to tell them what to do all day every day because that's not a team mm-hmm. that's going to work very well if you need to use command and authority. Safety is a is a function of influence, and it takes a lot of people to to influence and make that work. Mm-hmm. Now, are there times when you have to use command and authority? Yes, absolutely. You do. For example, if I think about something simple like a lockout violation, well, lockout violations, sometimes, you know, they aren't pleasant. They come with disciplines. They come with heavy discipline sometimes. And that's when authority Mm -hmm. and command come into play. The fourth one would be aim to correct all hazards, no matter how big or how small. Any hazard that's reported to employees, it's the employee's responsibility to report the hazard, Mm -hmm. but, but that safety team needs to work in conjunction with the supervisor that that hazard is reported to, to to make sure that that is corrected accurately, but also corrected in a timely fashion. And then the fifth piece would be would be to comply with any regulation. Now, the the regulatory information that's that's the minimum standard that you have to abide by. That just gets you out of tours and having deviations written up on tours and fines. The compliance piece is a part of safety. And I always mention that when I, when I do talks like this, I always talk about the compliance piece. So I talked about the mini teams and I also talked about the, the four or five things that they need to be, uh, they need to be responsible for to make a great safety team. Mm-hmm. That's very, very interesting. What are some of the challenges that safety teams have? The challenges look different in different organizations. All organizations have their challenges in terms of health and safety, Andrew. There's a number of challenges. The first one, I would say, is uh, maintaining the focus or the momentum on safety. Oftentimes, what happens is if you're, if you're going down the road of initiating a safety culture change, sometimes that, that change means that safety is going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. And when the times start to get a little bit worse, meaning it's chaos, we're going down this road, we're changing culture, we need to do things differently, it becomes tough, it becomes challenging, it becomes very time consuming, and it's hard to keep the momentum going. So that's in the early stages, out the gate. However, there's also challenges later on in that culture shift when you got the employees and and the business to where you want to go, meaning you got the momentum going, uh, you sailed into the area that you wanted to sail into. Uh, but now safety record is good. The KPIs are in great shape. Everybody's paying attention and things are rolling along. 
that's when you're most exposed because people start to let their guard down. They think, okay, our standard now, it's good enough. We're there. We don't have to keep working at it. So keeping that momentum is, uh, is, is a challenge. You always have to have safety at the forefront and you always have to have safety top of mind. I remember a few years ago, I did a pr presentation on safety and and uh, some organizations talk about back-in policies. When, when employees pull into the parking lot, the sign says to back in. And I asked the question to the group, you know, why do organizations do that? Why do organizations have a policy where employees have to back their vehicle into the parking spot? And the resounding answer was, well, because it's safer. That is true. That, that's a side effect of that. But the reason why they have a back-in policy for the most part is it gets people thinking about safety before they enter the workplace. That is the primary reason of that. So when I think of bringing safety to the forefront that I just described to you, that would be an example of how an organization would bring safety to the forefront. So the other part would be, uh, you know, getting buy-in. So occupational health and safety can be, if you, if you leverage it and you utilize it in the way that it should be, it can be a key driver in employee engagement and also your business. You know, it can, it can engage employees if you, if you have a good safety record, on top of it being the right thing to do, it can drive WCB premiums down, it can drive costs down, but sometimes getting the buy-in and that function can, can be difficult. So I think a lot of organizations, their safety function and also their Joint Health and Safety Committee and maybe their wider teams, like I just talked to you about, because there's so many components of that, uh, of that safety machine, I would call it, getting alignment and buy-in all those teams and all those mini teams can be can be a challenge. Also, uh, no pun intended, but staff turnover. So safety isn't insulated when it comes to being a victim of staff turnover. So you can have organizations who are constantly turning over their staff, meaning that uh, training costs are very high, orientation costs are very high. And as that happens, you have accidents and incidents and near misses and hazard IDs. Uh, start starting to creep up, so that's that's one component of it. But you can also have turnover in your uh, in your with your safety team as a whole. So if you're working in an organization, and let's say you're in a manufacturing plant of 500 people, to use a round number, and let's say you're a team of three people in safety. Well, if you have two of those people who leave, let's say within 18 months, and they've both been employed 10 plus years or more, well, think of all that intellectual capital and intellectual property that's going out the door with them. Not only the safety knowledge, but knowledge of the culture, knowledge of the people, knowledge of the areas, knowledge of the department, knowledge of the machines, perhaps. Those are, uh, those are all areas where when you start to see staff turnover, it can, uh, it can start to challenge occupational health and safety in ways that it hasn't been challenged before. The other ways that, that they're challenged is, is communication. You know, I talked a little bit earlier about you know, the safety, what a safety management system looks like, you know, as your, your hazards get reported, your near misses get reported, uh, your recordables, your lost time, you know, any fire events that may happen, you have to take, look at all of those hazards as they come in and all those incidents, and you have to assign the appropriate corrective action. And uh, you have to communicate all these incidents that are happening in a way where it's hitting all of the employees and they're getting information about it in relatively the same amount of time. And mm -hmm. the only way to do that and, and get a proper corrective action is a proper root cause analysis has to be done. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes 
getting all of that information out to to employees in an accurate in a timely fashion becomes a challenge because you could have you know just in, in my my experience in occupational health and safety you can have shift work involved you can have employees who maybe injure themselves on the job and you know they go to a hospital they don't return to the next day you can have people out on vacation you can have people on their days off you can have people working night shifts so getting that communication to everybody so that they know what's happening and also what is being done about what is happening is safety that that's a real struggle and a real challenge and that's not just manufacturing companies but that's any organization where where shift work is involved i mean if you look at customer contact centers you have people that work all night if you look at trucking companies you have people that work you know they drive trucks all throughout uh, all throughout the night if you look at People who, uh, you know, in, in, in apartment buildings who, you know, if they're a cleaning company in office buildings or in apartment buildings, well, that stuff all happens after after five o'clock. Those are all all people who work non-traditional hours and, and communicating with them can be a challenge. I'd say the next one I would I, I would say, which is very key, uh, I didn't put this one at the top, but I, I probably should have, would be employee involvement. So employee involvement is absolutely critical for your safety program. Programs that I have seen that have been the most successful, and we always hear that safety's got to be uh, supported by leadership, by management, and so on, and it does. But the safety and safety in organizations that I have seen be the most successful are, are the bottom-up safety approach, meaning it comes from the employees. They take the program, they inherit it, and they run with it. And the reason they run with it is because they've been involved in the development and the implementation of that safety program right from the outset. And the reason they've been involved is because every change we we would have made in safety, whether that's me working with clients or working with a private organization, safety impacts them in their jobs and how they can perform their jobs. So therefore, that's the reason why you involve them from the outset. If you go a little bit deeper, it's not just involving them and saying, hey, guys, this is what we're doing, or, you know, hey, gals, this is what we're doing. It's more involving them to the level that they want to be involved in and giving them the responsibility that they want that they want but not overloading them or overbearing the team so that they walk away and say look this is just a little too much for me so you have to find that balance when it comes to employee involvement and and that's that's very critical the last one would be ever-changing legislation you know regulations uh occupational health and safety acts occupational health and safety regulations they change and uh, sometimes in private organizations, those changes don't make their way to those organizations. And sometimes you're left with surprises, meaning you, you find out that regulations and legislation has changed after mm-hmm. the fact. And then you're scrambling to get that regulation and that legislation changed, which means that uh, you, you may have to update your policy. You may have to update your procedures. You may have to change your terms of reference. Uh, mm-hmm. You might have to change how you communicate things. You may have to change guarding. On machines, for example, uh, you might have to change railings on uh, on elevated surfaces. So those are all ways that that regulations can impact organizations um, when organizations don't know about them and they find out about them after the fact and they're scrambling. Hmm. So some of the things that kind of caught my attention is maintaining a minimum focus. So uh, if they're working from you know eight to four, that their focus is the same at eight compared to three o'clock. I imagine that could be uh, an issue. Communications, I imagine that's a challenge as well because, you know, in a lot of organizations, upper management is not very good at communicating with lower management what the developments are. 
or if there's any processes that were changed. So those are some things that I could see being an issue and challenges as as well. Yeah. um, The point I made on the first one was, you know, is keeping the momentum and the focus on safety uh, going, which is pretty much what, what you said. Someone mm-hmm. comes in at eight, their, their focus on safety is the same as, as what it is when, uh, when they leave at, at four o'clock. So mm-hmm. yeah, th- those are all the challenges. And, and uh, you have the way, the way in which you do that is you have touch points all throughout the day where safety is, is dripped. It's not hammered into their head, but it's just constantly dripped so that it's you're making these points all throughout the day so that if an employee's mind does start to slip, that point that you're dripping is starting to bring them back right to where they were at eight o'clock. So that's the whole point of having those touch points throughout the day. So for example, how this could look in a, in a, in a plant environment or any other type of environment is, hey, you got your eight o'clock startup meeting, you talk about safety. And then after that, you have a daily management meeting just before break at lunch to review how the meeting meeting went. Well, that that was safety. You know, okay. that part of that is, is safety. Then um, after break at two o'clock, uh, when we, uh, when we, when we start back up, well, we have a toolbox talk. Mm-hmm. That's again, you're addressing safety in that toolbox talk. And then a few hours later, you're going home. So throughout the day, if nothing else happens and an employee never leaves their workstation, well, they're getting hit with safety at eight. They're getting hit with safety at 11. They're hearing safety again at one and they're hearing safety again at, let's say three o'clock, for example. Okay. So there's somebody that's on them. That clarifies that a little bit uh, better for me. So thanks for explaining that. Sure. Um, what are some of the things that make a good leader within a safety team? Make uh, make a good leader within uh, within a safety team. So if, uh, if you're a leader and, and you want to build you want to build a safety culture, if you read any literature on uh, on on culture change, you know if you put safety aside. Uh, it'll say that, you know, all research points to culture change has taken between five and seven years to implement. You know, you can copy a product, you can copy a machine, you can put in the same equipment that your competitors have. Uh, that can all be done overnight. But if you want to change culture, it takes five to seven years. So safety is no exception to that. If you want to change your safety culture and you want to, you want to change that culture, it's going to take, it's going to take that long. So a good safety leader for me is is somebody who they have you know they're building an integrated safety culture so okay. it's not just we're going to focus on one safety program and that's going to get us to where we want to be we're going to build an integrated safety culture and it's going to have employees involved right from the get-go and that is that's how we're going to win so it's a it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a leader who he builds a, you know builds a call he or she builds a call to action has an integrated safety culture and we can all put in a safety management system. We put in a software program that says, hey, now we're going to start capturing incidents. But what do you do with that information? And how do you use that information to make decisions? That's really what's, what's important. So an integrated safety culture can look a few different ways in, in different organizations. But a leader who, who's building a, a good safety culture, you know, they, the components would, would look like would, would be a safety management system, number one. That's your, your software that I talked about. Your second piece is your regulatory requirements, which is what you do at a minimum. And then your uh, your third component is your employee, your employee involvement. And then your fourth component is your is your safety initiatives. So those those are really your four buckets for a safety strategy and the activities. You know, those those headings aren't going to change mm-hmm. from year to year in your safety. Just the activities within those buckets will change as you need to flex them and adapt them as you go. So 
Mm-hmm. I'd say someone who can build an integrated safety culture, someone who can who can involve employees, they can they can adopt regulations, they can implement a safety management system, and they can run safety initiatives and have employees run the safety initiatives so that, that the entire load is not all on to uh, a few people. The the most challenging thing about safety, I mean, you always hear hear this term condition versus behavior, and when you're when you're logging incidents, sometimes systems will ask you for that. Well. Is the root cause conditional or is it behavior? The purpose of classifying that information, it's not to lay blame, meaning if we say condition, we're not blaming it on the employer that an incident happened. And if we say behavior, we're not blaming it on the employee that the incident happened. What we're trying to do is we're trying to improve safety and we're trying to get better to prevent these things happening again. But the analogy that I will use is when it comes to when it comes to a manufacturing environment or any operational environment. It's very easy to work on condition, right? There, there's there's five different levels of of how you can work on conditions. You can go from you know level one, you, you know your first line of defense is we can put up guarding, right? That's the minimum standard that you got to do, all the way to engineering controls as a level five, for example, which means that we're going to automate and we're going to get rid of that task altogether, and nobody will ever have to do it again. Okay, that's mm-hmm. very easy to do because mm-hmm. you're working on machines for the most part. But when it comes to safety, we're working on minds. That's what we're working on. We're working on minds. We're working on right. habits. We're working on behaviors. We're working on complacency. We're working on people who have history. We're working on people who have maybe reported accidents and they have a, a perceived or a real opinion that nothing was ever done. All of those types of things. So behavior is much, much harder to change than condition is. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact, and there's a lot of people that are looking for work these days in Canada and the States. And one of the things you mentioned culture quite a bit tonight, and that's one thing that a lot of people are looking at is the company culture. And people are asking questions in an interview, what the company culture is. And I would say that the health and safety programs are part of that culture because you want to make sure that you have a safe, I want to know that when I go to work, it's a safe work environment and that the company is doing everything that they can to make sure that I'm safe. And like you said earlier, that I get to go home at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, it is normal for candidates to ask about that, Andrew. Um, certainly, if, you know, if I was interviewing for a job, uh, I would be asking uh, about it. Uh, it would likely be the, uh, the, the very first question that I ask. And uh, in addition to that, uh, sustainability and also the environment is uh, mm-hmm. is questions that that candidates are are asking in addition to the the safety piece. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're you're bang on there. Mm-hmm. Well, Darcy, I really appreciate you coming on today. Your information was great, was informal, so I really appreciate that. Any final thoughts today? Keep an eye on uh, keep an eye on Levitate HR Strategies Inc. We have a, a a LinkedIn page right now, and uh, we will be launching our uh, our website here shortly. Uh, it's in the works, probably a few weeks out from now. And as we go into the summer, anyone out there listening, have a uh, have a have a safe summer, have safe vacations, have safe time with with family and friends and loved ones, mm-hmm. and wish uh, wish everybody best of luck in their safety journey. Well, I appreciate that. And you just, you mentioned Levitate there. I was going to see if any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, how might they do so? Yeah, they can, uh, they can look me up on LinkedIn. 
So it's it's Darcy Lynch, and my name is spelled with an E, so it's D A R C E Y L Y N C H. And uh, I also have an email. It's dlynch at levitatehr.com. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on today, Darcy. And on behalf of all my guests, I would like to thank you all for listening today. And until next time, be safe. And remember, if we all work together, we can accomplish That's right. You have been listening to Let's Be Diverse with Andrew Stout. To stay up to date with future content, hit subscribe 